Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. The full number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Uh, I want to I, I want to put this in perspective of what we're dealing with right now, uh, just so you have a sense of how things are shaping up. Um, we've got a situation with a virus where, for example, yesterday I had to drive around making uh, dropping off some cloth masks my wife has made uh, to various uh, nurses and doctors who are friends of ours. She made a stack of about 100 of them uh, because they're running out of their disposable masks. And they, a, a call went out to a number of organizations and people who can sew to make cloth masks that can be worn over the disposable mask so you can replace the cloth mask throughout the day. You can wash them uh, and you can preserve the disposable masks that are running in short supply right now. And I tell you all of this, uh, one, my wife is awesome, but two, more importantly, we continue to see um, fairly well that the um, th there's this sentiment among people out there right now that there's something wrong with the storyline, that the storyline is ultimately about the media and the media is overplaying this and it's not really true. It's not as bad as people say. And, and you know, frankly, when you look at the numbers, it's not nearly as bad as what a lot of people have said. Um, but I want, I want to give you some relevant, um, some relevant context for that, because I think a lot of the relevant context is missing and we need to put this into better proper context because of what's going on right now. Uh, by and large, what is happening is you have members of the media who are using this as a way to undermine the president. And we should just acknowledge that, that there are people within the media right now who are using the spread of this virus uh, as a bludgeon against the president. Campaign season's over. Joe Biden is, is, is ambling, rambling on the teleprompter. And so the media's got to give him some cover. And so, of course, they're using this. In fact, Axios this morning, which is the online, it's an online news portal in Washington, D.C. Uh, Axios has had to stop uh, a story and delete a tweet that essentially said someone took an algicide uh, coracline medicine because the president said so and they died and it's all the president's fault. And, and ult actually what it was is so th there's a, a chlorine pill that kills algae in fish tanks. And some idiot took it thinking it was the, the anti-malarial medicine and the media decided to blame the president. So it's it's true that the media is using this to try to blame the president. But that doesn't mean there's also not a bad virus running about that we need to try to stop. Two things can be true at once. That's one of the things that, that we tend to miss in American society these days is that two things actually can be true at one time. Uh, we, we, we miss this. And we can't nuance it. We can't say both. It's got to be either or. And so we're missing the facts of this virus. So I, I want to spend a little time on that this morning. And I want to take your phone calls as well. I'm always happy to hear from you, including those of you who disagree with me. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Do I need to check the radar this morning? It looks gross at my house here in Macon. Um, uh, uh, you know, I I was tired of the rain 
And then I just say, oh, great googly moogly. I do need to that. That's a technical term, by the way. Um, I do for need to look at the radar real quick. Uh, if you are north of Rome, you got some really nasty stuff. Uh, if you're up in in Clarksville, you've got bad stuff as well. Uh, Dalton, you're about to get really slammed by very very heavy rain. Uh, same in the Jasper area; it's coming to you here very soon. Uh, all of North Georgia got some serious storms. South Georgia, you're okay. Carroll County is getting some rain here in a little bit, and uh, drizzle and sprinkles in Middle Georgia. South of South of Warner Robins, uh, you're really okay for now, but more stuff will be coming in. Yep, it, it's it's a messy day out there in Georgia. Now, let me give you the audit trail before I go any further with this. And again, the phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. If you want to see where I get this data, uh, I get this data from the Georgia Department of Public Health, and I want to sh- let you be able to see it as well. If you text the word data to 33777, text the word data to 33777, I will send you back a link. Uh, I will text it back to you quickly. I got an automated system going where... When you, when you text the word data to 33777, you get back three links. One is to my daily newsletter I'm writing to keep everybody up to date with the state of play on this. Two is this link to the Georgia Department of Public Health. And three is the dashboard to the Johns Hopkins University uh, Medical Center where they are documenting uh, the global spread of this. And you can zoom in uh, uh, to nation by nation and state by state, frankly, and see it. Now, here's the breakdown in Georgia right now. Uh, this was updated at 7 p.m. last night. 800 cases and 26 deaths. And here's the county-by-county breakdown now through the spread. Uh, 152 in Fulton, 79 in Cobb, 74 in DeKalb, 69 in Darty, 61 in Bartow, 35 in Gwinnett, 24 Cherokee, 21 Carroll, 19 Clayton, 19 Lee, 14 Clark, 11 Fayette, 11 Richmond, 10 Floyd, 10 Hall, 9 Coweta, 9 Henry, 8 Lowndes, 7 Douglas, 7 Forsyth, 6 in Gordon, 5 in Paulding, 5 in Rockdale, 4 in these, Chatham, Glenn, Newton, Polk, Spalding, and Troop, 3 in each of these, Columbia, Lamar, Oconee, Peach, Pickens, Worth, 2 in each of these, Baldwin, Bibb, Butts, Early, Effingham, Lawrence, Lumpkin, Muskogee, Sumter, Terrell, Tift, and Whitfield, and 1 in each of these, Barrow, Burke, Catoosa, Charlton, Chattooga, Clinch, Coffee, Dawson, Harris, Hurd, Houston, Liberty, Lincoln, Madison, Miller, Monroe, Morgan, Pierce, Randolph, Tattnall, Turner, Twiggs, and Washington. There are 46 unknown. That, that's the spread. It, it continues to grow every day. Uh, 50% of the patients are female. 48% are male. We don't know about the other 2%. Um, I, I suspect they're either male or female, and the other 57 genders are not included. Uh, 59% of the cases are between the ages of 18 and 59. 36 percent of the cases are 60 and up only one percent of cases are uh newborn to age 17 four percent are unknown uh the bulk of the spread is in metro atlanta brian kemp has ordered now shelter in place for vulnerable populations the city of atlanta has gone into lockdown rome um where did i see this earlier was it wrga's website uh rome is considering uh locking itself down or has decided to and the city council uh, yes, uh, the city council in Rome has approved an emergency declaration. 
and they want people to shelter in place. Residents of Rome can leave their homes to get food, medicine, and other essentials, uh, but uh, that's it. Um, Otherwise, everything is going to be shut down there. Now, the Floyd County Commission is looking as well to do the same thing as it spreads up there. Now, again, this is all repetition for people. And I apologize for needing to do the repetition for everyone. And we're starting to see the argument. We're seven days into this. We're starting we're seven days in and we're starting to see people say we got to we got to give the economy a pulse. We got to get get people back to work. The problem is this. Uh, the, the numbers that I'm giving you make it look like this virus really isn't significant. In fact, let me do the entire United States, because in the grand scheme of things, it, it actually isn't. Uh, There are only 46,481 cases in the United States. 52% of those are in New York City, which is in serious crisis right now. Its hospitals are so overwhelmed with the virus that they're having to convert the Javits Center, which is a giant convention center, into a a temporary hospital, an overflow hospital. They are essentially taking all of the patients who don't have the virus and putting them in a convention center, and all the patients who do have the virus can get the medical care in in the primary care facilities. They are sending the, uh, what, USS Mercy uh, to New York to be an overflow hospital ship for patients in critical care but don't have the virus. They're sending a hospital ship to Los Angeles as well. Uh, and there are a lot of people who say, really, this is all blown out of proportion. Uh, and you're starting to see people say, let, let's just let everybody go back to work. Let's just let's just deal with this. We, we can deal with this. I, and I want to put a couple of things in perspective for you to give you some proper context on your thinking. The countries of of the Netherlands and the United Kingdom decided to do what many of you right now are advocating. That is, uh, let everybody go to work, keep the people who have the virus at home away from everyone, and make all the old people stay inside. They decided to do that, and what they saw was a massive spike in hospitalizations to the point that the hospitals in Great Britain and the Netherlands are so overwhelmed, uh, people who have critical care needs who don't have the virus are being left to die uh, because there, there's no space. It, very much you're seeing what's happening in Italy happening in Great Britain and the Netherlands because they decided to take the approach a lot of people are advocating, that of let's just uh, let everybody go to work. If you get get infected, everybody take your temperature. If you get infected, stay home. Otherwise, go to work, keep the economy going. And the panic began to set in, and the hospitals began to fill up, and it was finally explained to the prime ministers of Great Britain and the Netherlands that if you do this, a whole lot of people are going to die needlessly. And not just the people with the virus, but the people who need access to hospitals and can't get it because the hospitals are so overwhelmed with the virus. So they have changed course to the point uh, that Boris Johnson, the prime minister, went from everybody go to work and keep things rolling to... The coronavirus is the biggest threat this country has faced for decades. And this country is not alone. All over the world, we're seeing the devastating impact of this invisible killer. To put it simply, if too many people become seriously unwell at one time, the NHS will be unable to handle it, meaning more people are likely to die, not just from coronavirus, but from other illnesses as well. So it's vital to slow the spread of the disease, because that is the way we reduce the number of people needing hospital treatment at any one time, so we can protect the NHS's ability to cope and save more lives. And that's why we've been asking people to stay at home during this pandemic. And though huge numbers are complying, and I thank you all, the time has now come 
for us all to do more. From this evening, I must give the British people a very simple instruction. You must stay at home. If you don't follow the rules, the police will have the powers to enforce them, including through fines and dispersing gatherings. That's the British Prime Minister. The police are going to start rounding people up who leave their homes in Great Britain. Now, listen, I know some people out there uh, are never going to be persuaded until they themselves get this illness that it's a big deal. And fortunately, many of the cases turn out to be minor. But I'm actually really aggravated with the people who consider themselves pro-life who are taking the position that uh, our 401ks are more important than our families. And I see people out there taking that position. I see people out there taking the position that the economy is more important than lives. Now, listen, I get it. I get it. The cure should not be uh, worse than the disease. It shouldn't. And an economic depression is arguably worse than the disease. Uh, The suicide rate and other things that will eventually come from this uh, will be worse than the disease. But right now, the cure is for you to sit your butt on the couch. So shut the hell up. Uh, that's, That's the cure for the disease right now is just stay home for a week or two. If we all stayed home for a week or two, uh, that would be two weeks. Yes, the, the economy would tank for those weeks, and then it would come back. If we could figure out – if we could let Congress do what the Republicans want to do, which is the Republicans want to pay people to stay home. They want to give your business money and then have your business send you that money as your paycheck and tell you don't actually come to work. That's the Republican solution. Do you know what the Democrat plan is right now, why the Democrats are holding this up? The Democrats actually believe that you should do that, stay home and get money, but also that we should throw in things about uh, jetliner engine efficiency, that we should try to take care of global warming while we're taking care of the virus. I, I, I got a problem with that. Uh, that's not part of the crisis right now. And yet that's why the Democrats are holding this up. Nancy Pelosi wants money for a performing arts center. Nancy Pelosi wants money to uh, do engine efficiency per jet, not not global energy efficiency in, in jetliners, but actually she wants a tracking system for the energy efficiency of each engine on each plane flying in the United States. And that's why she's put the kibosh on the current plan. And the Democrats are backing her up on this, and the media is backing her up on this. On Sunday, Chuck Schumer was bragging about the bipartisan cooperation in the Senate on this legislation, and now suddenly he's blasting the Republicans. And the media is giving them a pass. So I understand why people are cynical, and I understand why people are frustrated, and I understand people don't want to be in their homes for two weeks, and I understand people have jobs, and Congress is trying to come up with a reasonable solution to keep people home and keep their income going. Hopefully they can come up with something. But it really is remarkable that the solution to this, the actual radical solution, is just for us not to associate with each other in person for a week or two. And we can't bring ourselves to not do that, which is to some degree good. We're communal people. We like community, but also bad that we're we're more interested in the economic effects right now than what it's going to do to the population. And, and we know if we treat this like the seasonal flu, we're talking a million people dead. And and you can say that's hypothetical and that's nonsense, but we know right now from every European country and the United States that the mortality rate of this is about 1% and the flu is about uh, a tenth of a percent. So it's very easy to extrapolate what would happen if this spread like the seasonal flu. And by the way, it's more contagious than the seasonal flu. And all you got to do is sit on your couch. 
You don't have to believe me, though. You don't have to believe me. You don't have to believe me at all. You don't have to believe the experts. You don't have to believe the, uh, you don't have to believe Dr. Fauci. You don't have to believe the president. You don't have to believe the vice president. You don't have to believe the governor. All you need to do is go down to your local hospital and talk to the doctors. Because right now the doctors are going to tell you at the local hospitals uh, that they're being overwhelmed with people with flu-like symptoms and they're short of supplies. It's happening here in Macon where I am. It's happening down in in, uh, Houston County, south of me. It's happening in Fulton County. And right now in Georgia, it's actually fantastic because our governor is working diligently to make sure every hospital has the resources they need and we've got enough supplies to help. But then you've got people in New York and Los Angeles and we're having to send naval hospital ships to help with the overflow crowds of people getting the virus. Clearly, something is going on different from other virus pandemics we've seen in the past. All you got to do is open your eyes to see. It is Eric Erickson. Welcome back. The phone number here, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I want to go to Ella J, to my buddy Joe. How are you, Joe? Eric, you're a great American. I happen to be down in Sea Island, but I wanted to tell you, I've got some pretty interesting breaking news. Steve Moore is a very good friend of mine. He's on Fox Business News just about every day. He called me last night and said, Joe, after this crisis is over, and he he thought it would, you know, that they'd call Trump would call for people to go back to work in about three weeks. Anyway, he said we're going to have the greatest stock market economic boom in history. And Eric, I agree with that. I've been in the stock market 57 years. I watched Chevron's president on on Fox Business News in an interview, and Chevron stock, which is a super oil company, mm-hmm. is paying a nine percent dividend. Right. I mean, I've never seen such buys, and I've been a stock market guy fifty-seven years, Eric, and I have never seen anything like the buys. So I've been buying blue chip dividend stocks ever since this decline. And of course, I think everybody ought to, before they buy anything, they ought to get them a trusted stock market advisor. But I tell you what, I have never seen Eric in my uh, life. I'm eighty years old, and and the buys that are that are present in the market today. And when this terrible virus is over. I agree with Steve Moore, whose business partner is Larry right. Kudlow. I think we're going to have the big, the biggest stock market boom in history. I'm glad you say that, Joe, because I'm buying myself. Uh, I mean, every, every time I see the market go down, I just buy, buy, buy. Thank, thank you for that. It, it, you know, it, I, I agree that once we all get back to work, we're going to get the economy booming again. The question is, when do we get back to work? And the president, of course, is is concerned about the economy as much as anything, and he's right to be concerned about the economy and the people out of work. Uh, we got to figure out something that's going to happen. But there, there's also so, some real candor from the president here. Uh, let me let me play this for you. This is the president uh, last night at the White House. This morning, your Surgeon General on the Today Show said he wanted Americans to understand that this is going to get really bad. Do you share that prognosis? Of course I do. It's going to be bad. And we have uh, a lot of people dying from the flu, as you know. We have a very bad flu season on top of everything else. It's very bad. It looks like it could be over 50,000. And uh, certainly this is going to be bad. And we're trying to make it uh, so that it's much, much less bad. And that's what we're doing. I think we're doing a very good job of it. If you look at other countries, what they've been through, and you look at the kind of numbers and compare them to ours, which is a much larger country than most, uh, uh, the numbers are pretty amazing. And it started with the fact that we stopped people from coming in from a highly affected area and and infected area. And uh, 
that was a good thing to do. So, yeah, it's bad, and it's going to, obviously, the numbers are going to increase with time, and then they're going to start to decrease. Yep. Uh, in fact, it looks like Italy, having gone on a nationwide plateau, is starting to see its numbers fall. There, there's some concern out of Singapore and Hong Kong that the virus is rearing its head there again. Uh, we'll get into that. But there's also a campaign going on. People are running for president. Whatever happened to that? I'll tell you about it when we come back. Poor old Joe Biden. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. If you want to be a part of the program, uh, Bob and Marietta, welcome to the program. How are you? Hi, Eric. How are you? Good. Um, I wanted to get your opinion on this. Back in 2002, I remember something similar after 9-11, when they were trying to uh, have the uh, Homeland Security Department. And Senator Max Cleland at the time was holding up the bill because he wanted TSA agents to um, be able to join unions. And I remember that cost him his Senate seat in 2002. Do you see possibly any similarities that the Republicans can use even to save vulnerable seats that the the Democrats are trying to um, put unions and and um, uh, their own special interests like wind farms and things like that um, into this particular bill. And are you aware that in this bill there is a provision from Pelosi of ballot harvesting, kind of like what they did in California? Uh, 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 yes. As a matter of fact, I, I, I'm, I'm glad you called, Bob, because I wanted to get into all this. And, and you're right. Uh, this is very much, I think, like the Max Cleland situation where, uh, you know, to this day, the media peddles this mythology that uh, Saxby Chambliss uh, called him uh, a supporter of Al Qaeda or a supporter of terrorism or some such, which was not it at all. Uh, Saxby Chambliss legitimately ran an ad against Max Cleland in 2002, pointing out that he was holding up a uh, holding up legislation designed to establish the Department of Homeland Security eh, because he wanted to put unionization privileges in it, which is why the Democrats, interestingly enough, are holding up the present legislation. The Democrats are holding it up because they want advanced unionization legislation and, and labor union guarantees put in the legislation. And the media is going through the same plane book. If you go back to 2002, I was a lawyer at the time in Macon, and I remember the conversations, and they were almost all about how uh, the Republicans were the bad guys and Max Cleland was the hero. A worker rights for federal employees, which is very much the way the media is talking about this right now, is, is that it's somehow it's workers' rights, workers' rights, and... Not really. It's a union grab in addition to trying to federalize elections, which uh, the Constitution, under the Constitution, elections are the purview of the states. And Nancy Pelosi wants to do a power grab there. By the way, one member of Congress, I forget exactly who it was. Hang on a second. I can I can tell you, I think uh, it was a senior Democrat in the House explained what they were doing as they can use this to better realign national policy. Uh, in in their direction. Um, the, 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 where is yes, yes, yes. Uh, this is um, in Yahoo News. Here's the headline: A Democratic representative told colleagues the coronavirus bill is quote a tremendous opportunity to restructure things to fit our vision. A tremendous opportunity to restructure things to to fit our vision. And they're using the media to help them on this. By the way, the, the the Republicans in Congress are livid on this, 
And I, I got a real, I, I'm just not sure that they can uh, stem the tide on this. Uh, here, here are a couple of pieces of audio from the floor debates. This is Senator Ted Cruz. It was one party, the Democratic Party, saying to this chamber and the American people, hell no. We won't even take this up and discuss it. At a time of crisis, at a time when people are dying, that's wrong. That's shameful. When we awaken this morning, following the Democrats' obstruction, worldwide, there were 372,563 reported cases of the coronavirus. In the hours since then, just today, there have been an additional 23,352 cases reported today. While the Democrats are blocking the bill, 23,000 new cases today. In the United States, when we started this morning, there were 35,224 cases this morning. Right now, as of the latest numbers, there are 41,708 cases in the United States today. That means we've had an additional 6,484 cases today while the Democrats are blockading. And by the way, where are the Democrats? C-SPAN doesn't show this whole chamber often, but it'd be nice if they did, because that entire side of the chamber is empty. They're not showing up for work. They're not doing their job. That was Cruz. Here's Senator Kennedy from Louisiana, John Kennedy from Louisiana. The majority has five minutes. The senator from Louisiana. Thank you, Mr. President. You know what the American people are thinking right now? They're thinking that the brain is an amazing organ. It starts working in a mother's womb, and it doesn't stop working until you get elected to Congress. You know what the American people are thinking right now, Mr. President? They're thinking that this country was founded by geniuses but it's being run by a bunch of idiots. <laughs> you know what the American people are thinking right now, Mr. President? They're thinking, why do the members of the United States Senate continue to double down on stupid? Now, this is not a Republican bill, Mr. Chairman. This is a bipartisan bill. We have spent hours and hours and hours negotiating these provisions with our Democratic friends. This is not a slush fund. This is a bill to help people and businesses in America. That's Senator Kennedy of Louisiana. Well, uh, two more bites for you to, to understand and put this in proper context. Here's Mitch McConnell on the floor. So let me give the American people a taste of the outstanding issues we woke up to this morning. Here are some of the items on the Democratic wish list over which they choose, over which they choose to block this legislation last night. Tax credits for solar energy and wind energy. Provisions to force employers to give special new treatment to big labor. And listen to this, new emission standards for the airlines. Are you kidding me? This is the moment to debate new regulations that have nothing whatsoever to do with this crisis? That's what they're up to over there. American people need to know it. Democrats won't let us fund hospitals or save small businesses unless they get to dust off the Green New Deal. I'd like to see Demo Senate Democrats tell 
New York City doctors and nurses who are literally overrun as we speak. That they're filibustering hospital funding and more masks because they want to argue with the airlines over their carbon footprint? I'd like to see Senate Democrats tell small business employees in their states who are literally being laid off every day that they're filibustering relief that will keep people on the payroll because Democrat special interest friends want to squeeze employers while they're vulnerable. Squeeze these employers while they're vulnerable. And he's telling the truth there. The Democrats are putting in aviation jet efficiency standards into a bill to help small businesses. That that's They're actually doing that. I wish I was making it up. I'm not making it up. They actually are doing that. Now, uh, Jake Tapper actually had on uh, Senator Chris Murphy from Connecticut and asked him about this and noticed the inability to give a straight answer. Mitch McConnell says uh, Democrats are making uh, 11th hour demands, including a tax credit for solar panels, uh, collective bargaining rights, and, and that's what's uh, some, of the, some of the sticking points. Why would Democrats be pushing a tax credit for solar panels or, or collective bargaining rights? So listen, my focus is on making sure that uh, hospitals and states have what they need, that we don't do any of these no-strings-attached bailouts. Uh, that's where my focus is. And if, that, uh, if those demands are met, then I will vote to proceed on this legislation. I want you to take a listen to what Democratic Minority Leader Ch uh, Chuck Schumer told Wolf Blitzer just a few days ago, just on Saturday. Actually, to my delight and surprise, there has been a great deal of bipartisan cooperation thus far. A great deal of bipartisan cooperation thus far from your leader, Chuck Schumer. Now Democrats are saying the opposite, no bipartisan cooperation. So what happened here is that Republicans wrote their own bill, then they brought Democrats into the room, and there were good faith negotiations that were occurring for about a half a day, uh, Senator Schumer remarked on those negotiations. And then late on Saturday night, Democrats were kicked out of the room, and Republicans wrote the bill on their own. We only got a copy of it Sunday morning from lobbyists on K Street. It was shared with corporate lobbyists before it was shared with members of the Democratic caucus. And that, to us, was a sign that the priority here was in helping corporations, not helping workers in, in solving the virus. So there was a brief period of time where Democrats and Republicans were in the room working together. And now we are doing that again. So we are working, Republicans and Democrats, to try to bridge the differences that exist here. I think we can do that, and I think that we can probably do that by the end of the day. Would you agree? I mean, you, you kind of skirted the question, but would you agree that matters like uh, solar panel tax credits and collective bargaining rights, while I understand are important to Democrats, like it's not worth holding up this bill? So I, I don't know where those reports come from. I've told you what my priorities are. My priorities are making sure that my taxpayer dollars aren't going to go, you know, pad CEO salaries and that the public health crisis is identified. Those are my priorities. I don't know about that reporting. Uh, he doesn't know about that reporting. That's Nancy Pelosi making those demands. Is he not clued in on what the Democrats are actually demanding? Because that's part of what Nancy Pelosi is demanding. What, one more, one more bit here. They, these are important for you to hear because the Democrats are so convinced that the media has their back and so much of the media does. I mean, for Pete's sakes, the New York Times changed a headline three times to ultimately make sure it didn't include that the Democrats are the ones backing this or, or blocking this. And then Mitch, uh, they came out with an editorial blaming Mitch McConnell. So it's, it's important to note that they're not quite even winning the media war on this. This is from MS. 
MSNBC. Garrett Hack, a pretty good reporter over at MSNBC on Capitol Hill. Listen to this. Well, this is an opportunity for Democrats to show what their priorities are in this crisis, given the absence of a compromise bill in the Senate. Pelosi said a couple days ago that the House would offer its own alternative when she wasn't satisfied with what was being discussed on the Senate side. There you saw her lay some of it out. Um, The House is not in session right now. The House could not vote on this bill tomorrow or probably the next day or the next day, even if they wanted to. And I think what you're seeing here is Democrats believe they have leverage here. Republicans don't even have 50 votes in the Senate where they are in the majority right now because some of their members are quarantined. They are trying to find their way through a solution. And Democrats believe they have some political leverage here to control the response here in the way they would like to see it performed and to get some of their priorities across the finish line. There is a political danger of overreaching here. And I think that's what you're seeing play out on the Senate floor where Democrats are being criticized for things like including cancellation of student debt, which you could argue is not a part of the coronavirus crisis. Things like you heard the speaker there talk about election security and vote by mail, which is a very interesting issue for all of us who've been covering the connection between the virus and electoral politics, but arguably not an urgent crisis in March. Uh, and so I think this is the, the walk, that the, the line the Democrats are going to be walking here is, do they press their political advantage as they see it to get the most favorable terms possible out of a Senate bill, or do they press too far and risk being blamed by the public for slowing down uh, a bill that is widely agreed to be urgently needed out in the rest of the country? <laughs> Out in the rest of the country, key phrasing there. This, I mean, that's an MSNBC report. And you know that, that people were watching this on MSNBC, their typical v- viewers wanting to, to, to eat that guy alive for daring to suggest that collective bargaining rights and student loans and uh, election security for November are not critical in this March uh, bill. But that's where we are with the, with the Democrats claiming that there's an urgent need to do something and then throwing in a bunch of unrelated things. And the Republicans are having none of it. Now, I, you and I both know, and, and there are a lot of you listening to this right now who are privately whispering to yourselves, muttering, the Republicans are going to cave. The Republicans are going to cave. They probably are going to cave. They probably are. By the way, do you know someone who's not out there looking leaderly in all of this? Someone who who is out of the spotlight at all? Beef up the number of responders dealing with the crush, these crush of cases. And... Uh, and in addition to that, uh, in addition to that, we have to uh, make sure that we uh, we are in a position that we are. Well, let me let me go to the second thing. I've spoken enough of that. The president must use the Defense Production Act. <laughs> this is Joe Biden has taken the live stream. Uh, who knows how many people are watching, but is it not amazing that Joe Biden, the Democrats are not allowing Joe Biden to look leaderly and participate in negotiations of this bill. that He's completely marginalized. He's going to be their nominee now. They've circled the wagons on his behalf, and they've completely marginalized him in these conversations. Now would be the perfect time to bring Joe Biden to the table as the lead negotiator for the Democrats, but Nancy Pelosi won't do it. And what's Pelosi doing? Collective bargaining rights, student loans, election stuff, jet airliner efficiency, and bailouts for performing arts theaters. Here's the thing. Remember when everyone said it was strategic genius for Nancy Pelosi to withhold the articles of impeachment? And then she got bullied into doing it and looked weak, and then impeachment failed? Nancy Pelosi's Achilles heel is that so many members of the media love her 
They're willing to make excuses for her and give her a pass in a way that does not translate to your average American. I, I kid you not, Kyle Cheney at Politico is pushing out a story uh, that essentially what's happening is the Republicans are just resurfacing their Nancy, anti-Nancy Pelosi playbook. That, that, that explains things right now. You got so many members of the media willing to protect Nancy Pelosi and do her bidding that they have become detached from the needs of ordinary Americans. How many of you who are sitting on the sidelines right now because your business won't let you into work or your business is out of business due to lack of business, how many of you are concerned with the engine efficiency of individual airlines in the United States right now? Ask yourself that question because that's why you're not getting a check from the federal government because that's what Nancy Pelosi is concerned about. Remember as well, if you text the word data to 33777, uh, I will send you back three links in one text message. Uh, the first is to the daily newsletter that I'm doing. You can subscribe to it. It'll arrive in your inbox in full form. It won't be excerpted. Uh, there is, you can pay for part of, you can pay for a little more detailed stuff, but uh, in general, it is the, the, the COVID-19 stuff is free of charge, delivered to your inbox uh, every day, most days, I shouldn't say every day, just trying to keep you up to date on what's going on. The second link is to the Georgia Department of Public Health audit uh, of how the virus is spreading in the state of Georgia. And the third link is to the Johns Hopkins University uh, COVID-19 dashboard that shows you globally how the virus is spreading. Uh, so text DATA, D-A-T-A, to the number 33777, and that will make it happen. Poor old Joe Biden. It, it is, it's, he's having a real hard time with these live streams. He's just not down uh, with technology. He stands around and kind of mutters and grumbles at the camera. He's not sure necessarily where to look, which is kind of bizarre because there's a camera right in front of him. Uh, and then when he does look, he just kind of stares and it's just the, the whole thing is weird and the, they're trying to come up with something. And I, I do actually feel a little bad for him in this scenario because this is uncharted territory for all of us. This is particularly uncharted territory for a 78 year old man running for president who's used to being among the crowds and used to going out on the campaign trail. And now he can't do that. That's I mean, it, it turns the entire scenario on his head, uh, it, it's not something he's used to. Let, let me play you one more little bit here. This, this is, this is kind of funny. Again, this is Joe Biden doing his little press conference thing that he's doing from his home, and he's having a real hard time as these live streams start and get going, figuring out when he's supposed to be on. I'm ready to go. Now he wipes his nose in his face and he stands. Good morning. <laughs> what? So I got to describe this to you. So the, 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 you hear the guy say the mic's hot. And then he says, the guy says, you're live. And Biden says, I'm ready to go. And the guy says, you're ready to go. And he, there's this long pause. He looks over at the camera guy again. And then he looks at the camera and he wipes his nose and he wipes his mouth and then he does the good morning thing. I, I thought we're not supposed to be touching our faces, Joe. <laughs> 
Poor Joe. Look, I feel bad for the guy. He and the president both, they like to be on the campaign trail. They like to be uh, engaged. They, they like to do all these sort of things, and they can't right now. They can't do what they want to do because they just can't get on the campaign trail. They can't get into crowds. They can't do all of the things that they as candidates are used to doing. And I totally understand that, and I feel badly for them. Um, but that is kind of the nature of the beast right now uh, that they're dealing with out on the campaign trail. Now, I want to move on to other things uh, in the next hour. Uh, by the way, uh, spoiler alert, uh, Governor Kemp is going to join me uh, at 11.30 to talk about what's going on. We actually had to move some guests around. We, we I was going to interview the uh, CEO of VidAngel, many of you know that, at 11.30, but the governor's office called and said, hey, can he come on at 11.30? 11, actually, it'll be more like 11.40. He's got to get out of a meeting, and then he'll call in uh, with the governor uh, to talk about what he's done in the state. When we come back, I actually am interested in your calls on what you think of the governor's performance on this issue right now. Uh, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. He's trying to do a balancing act, and the Atlanta media is beginning to savage him for not doing everything the Atlanta media wants him to do, including a lockdown of the entire state. I've talked to some people familiar with the governor's thinking on why he's not doing a lockdown of the entire state. And when we come back, I want to talk to you about that. And I'm happy to take your calls and, and your thoughts on that as well. 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. And then at 1130, Governor Kemp is going to join me here on the show. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I got a question for you guys out of the gate today. Uh, what do you think of the job that Governor Kemp is doing? Uh, do you think he's striking the right balance? And and the reason I ask is, well, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution uh, is running a big editorial. Uh, from the editorial board, Kemp can and must do more. Governor Brian Kemp on Monday banned many gatherings of more than 10 people and ordered med medically fragile people to shelter in place. He finally ordered bars and nightclubs to shut down. He gave the Department of Public Health authority to close businesses that don't comply. But wise public health experts had to worry what he'd done might be too little too late. And he resisted the shelter-in-place orders other states have issued. He's finally using his direct authority in trying to stop this COVID-19 pandemic in Georgia. At his press conference, Kemp said after running down this list of actions, these measures are intended to ensure the health and safety of Georgians across the state. But why not act sooner and go further? It's hard to compare states directly and especially hard in Georgia. The Department of Public Health seems intent on obfuscating and making information difficult for the public to track. And our reporting has shown DPH doesn't track vital information. It can't tell citizens, for example, which nursing homes have outbreaks. Let's try a state comparison anyway. Ohio's governor acted boldly and before others. That state has a population of around 11.7 million. That's about 1 million more than Georgia. Early on, Governor DeWine banned uh, fans at sporting events. Then DeWine closed schools, restaurants, and bars. He postponed the presidential primary in defiance of a court order, by the way. And Ohio colleges had to stop in-person instruction. Meanwhile, our governor has meandered and merely suggested some things that would have a big impact. 
On March 12th, the governor suggested schools close and then finally closed them. The university system uh, banned in-person classes and some closed on their own. Local communities did the best they could with confused guidance. And you know what he doesn't actually, what, what they, they don't, well, no, they finally get to it. Georgia has 800 confirmed cases of coronavirus. Ohio has 442. Now, there is something, by the way, uh, that is worth noting. Do you know what Georgia has that Ohio does not have? And this, this, this actually probably should be in the AJC editorial. This should be in the AJC editorial. It's, it's not in the AJC editorial. And I, I don't know why it's not in the, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution editorial. It, it should be there. It's just it's not there, and, and that's befuddling. It, it, Georgia has many, many more flights to Milan and Shanghai and Seoul, Korea, to China and parts of Asia and parts of Europe than Ohio has. Seems like that should be relevant data in there. And here's the situation. Let, let me give you the audit uh, right now. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do this every hour. Keep everybody up to date. This will be updated at noon. There are 800 cases in Georgia, 26 deaths so far. 152 in Fulton, 79 Cobb, 74 DeKalb, 69 Darty, 61 Bartow, 35 Gwinnett, 24 Cherokee, 21 Carroll, 19 Clayton, 19 Lee, 14 Clark, 11 Fayette, 11 Richmond, 10 in Floyd, 10 in Hall, 9 in Coweta, 9 in Henry, 8 in Lowndes, 7 in Douglas, 7 in Forsyth, 6 in Gordon, 5 in Paulding and Rockdale, 4 in Chatham, Glenn, Newton, Polk, Spalding and Troop. Three in Columbia, Lamar, Oconee, Peach, Pickensworth, Baldwin, Bibb, Butts, Early, Effingham, Lawrence, Lumpkin, Muskogee, Sumter, Terrell, Tift, and Whitfield County. And then one in Barrow, Burke, Catoosa, Charlton, Jatuga, Clinch, Coffee, Dawson, Harris, Hurd, Houston, Liberty, Lincoln, Madison, Miller, Monroe, Morgan, Pierce, Randolph, Tattnall, Turner, and Twiggs in Washington. Uh, one uh, or 46 are an unknown, uh, unknown where the residence is. Okay. The governor's got to strike a balance. Urban areas need to be closed down. Uh, the city of Rome is ordering a lockdown. Uh, Columbus, Muskogee ordering a lockdown. The Macon Bibb area ordering uh, mostly a shelter in place. Uh, the, the medically fragile ordered a shelter in place. We were actually going to have somebody come this morning and do some work here. And after the governor's order yesterday, we, we had to tell him you can't come. We're ordered, sheltered in place. We're considered a med medically fragile household because my wife's got cancer. So uh, no workers in and out of the house. And the governor is trying to strike a balance. And a lot of places are closing up and a lot of people are doing what they're told anyway. But but here's the thing. This is the, the, the frustrating thing to me is the premise of the editorial at the AJC is that people will not do the right thing unless the government makes them do the right thing. You're willing to let your mother and your grandmother die unless the government tells you not to. That, that's the essential premise of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution editorial. The governor has closed down schools. The governor has backed... Uh, have the, the governor has backed local municipalities and counties that want to lock down. 
the governor has made sure the supply chain is open. By the way, uh, Georgia hospitals are not yet overwhelmed. They may very well become overwhelmed, but right now, not only are they not overwhelmed, uh, but the governor has uh, created a special supply chain task force to ferry supplies between hospitals that need them. So, for example, Phoebe Putnam, Putney Memorial Hospital in Albany was overwhelmed with the virus. Uh, to put in perspective just how contagious this virus is, there are... How many deaths in Georgia now? 26. About 10 of those deaths come from the Albany area, and they come from funeral services where a preacher preached and was infected and spread it among the congregates attending the funerals. And pretty much, let, let me get down to Darty County now. The Darty County cases, there are 69 cases in Darty County now, and, and Lee County has 19 cases. That's the Albany area. And... Most of those can be traced back to the people who attended those funerals. That's how contagious the virus is. But why should the governor lock down parts of the state unaffected by the virus? Why should he? So I'm pulling up the map of the state um, where you can see where the virus has spread. And again, if you follow the link, if you text data to 33777, you can see all that for yourself. Tolliver County, spelled Taliaferro, but everyone assures me it's pronounced Tolliver County. Uh, there is a Crawfordville, is Crawfordville and Sharon, the towns of Crawfordville and Sharon. It runs, uh, Tolliver County stretches across I-20 on the way towards Greensboro and Lake Oconee. It's between Augusta and Madison. And it has zero cases, and there isn't a county around it that has a case. Now, those counties may eventually get cases, but it has uh, minimal operations. In fact, I'm zooming in, Major Hub. Let's see, there's a BP station right there at one of the exits. Um, there, when you get the Carl Sanders Highway, which is I-20, you've got an, an interstate exit there that runs through Tolliver County. You've got a, a used auto parts, we buy junk situation there. Uh, you got that. You've got a place called Heavy's Barbecue. You've got a, a there's a hunting club there. And I'm just, I, I'm, and then let's see, up oh, here's a big exit. What do we have? We got a couple churches. Uh, we don't even have any fast food restaurants right through there. That That's, that's Tolliver County. Now I got to ask you. In, in legitimately, and I'm not trying to be a jerk here, legitimately, why should that county close up everything when it not only has no viruses within it, or no, no COVID-19, but has no major industry, everything is rather small. Let's see, I, I'm zooming, let's see, there's Georgia Wood Preserving, there's the high school, there's a quick stop, there's Mama Chucha's Cafe in downtown Tolliver, or downtown Crawfordville. Uh, there's the Smoking Gun Auto Auction. There's a museum. There's a state park, A.H.D. Alexander Stevens State Park. That is, that's in Crawfordville. Let, let's, let's, I've never been uh, to downtown Crawfordville. Let's see, there's a Pittman Packing Store. There's a post office. There's a lot of churches. Why does Tolliver County need to shelter in place? That that's the point of going through all of this. What why does Crawford County or, or Tolliver County need to shelter in place? 
Now, certainly as the virus spreads, they may need to. And there are areas of the state where they're doing that. DeKalb County is now shutting down. Fulton County is shutting down. Atlanta is shutting down. In fact, the Fulton County Commission probably needs to do a shelter in place for the whole county, for Fulton County, from Alpharetta all the way down to South Fulton. Cobb County probably needs to do it. But why does Tolliver County need to do it? Why does, let's see, let, let, let's go to, let's go to, uh, down to Metter, Candler County. In Metter, you know, that that's on uh, I-16. It's headed towards Savannah. It's where typically my family stops when we're headed to Hilton. Hill. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. I'm going to cry <laughs> now that we're not going. Uh, it, it, it's, you got all those stops on the interstate. There's that little, little runway strip there. And you got a bunch of fast food restaurants there right along the interstate, but there are zero cases. Now, maybe at noon today, they'll have some and we need to reconsider, but right now they got none. Or there's Emanuel County, that's Swainsboro. Swainsboro, on a couple of sides, is touching counties that are impacted. So, for example, in Burke County, there's one. In Lawrence County, there are two. And in Tattnall County, there's one. But in, in Emanuel County, there are none. Should Emanuel County and all the people in Swainsboro and, and Somerton and, and Modoc and Canucci and Twin City and, and Covina and Norristown, should they all shut down now? Should they all shelter in place? Should they shut down all the gas stations? Should they shut down all the local businesses? Should everybody stay home there when they're unimpacted by the virus? These are the issues that the governor of the state of Georgia is having to deal with. And it is, it's not a coincidence that the loudest voices for shutting the state down are in the metropolitan areas of the state. And perhaps it is a good idea to say, okay, folks, if you are are north of a dividing line, shut down. If you're if you're north of I-20 and, and east of 85 or west of 85, shut down. I mean, if you're in the metro Atlanta area, shut down. But why should some of these counties that have no impact, Thomasville down in South Georgia, beautiful little town, city, I guess they would want me to call it in South Georgia, has, has no cases yet. They got a hospital down there. They, they do have people in the hospital who presume to have symptoms, but they've tested negative, but they have no known cases. Why do they need to shut down? See, the media wants to make it a very easy situation. And nationally, it's a very easy situation. You, you've got nationally, we know if you stay inside for two weeks, you don't go outside, you don't mingle with others, the virus is going to kill itself off. But, but, when you get down to the regions and region-specific, it matters. In fact, this is some of what the White House press conference has been talking about, uh, that there are parts of this country where you will need to take a regional approach that is different from other regions of the country. There are parts of the country that you can treat differently from other parts of the country. Uh, And there are things that all of us can do right now to stop the spread of the virus. And then once we've all stayed home for a little bit, then we can start taking a region by region approach, or in this case with a governor, a county by county approach here in Georgia. Here's Dr. Burks, one of the White House advisors. Because if people know that we're considering and trying to understand the impact of the good work that they have done, I think it reinforces them to do good work for the next whatever it is, mm-hmm. days, weeks in the future. Because it says to them, 
we're looking very carefully of the impact that the work that you did, the selfishness that you brought to this, the ability to stay home with your fabulous children, your ability to social distance, the ability to give up on going to restaurants and just having takeout, all of those sacrifices, the ability of your protecting our elder generation, the greatest generation, and making sure they're safe in nursing homes but not seeing them. All of us have made sacrifices. I haven't seen my grandchildren in three weeks. I know other people are like that, that they have really made those personal sacrifices. What we're asking every American to do is to make those personal sacrifices for these next no. week and now no. so that we can evaluate the impact of that sacrifice. So I think, if anything, it strengthens the willpower to say, yes, I can do this. I agree with her. And we should be doing this. Here's the Surgeon General. Uh, I want America to understand this week it's going to get bad. And uh, we really need to come together as a nation. I, I heard the stories that you were just playing, young people out um, on beaches. Uh, we, we see here in D.C. Uh, that, that the uh, district set up a cam for people to watch the cherry blossoms. You look on the cam, you see more people walking around than you see cherry blossoms. And this is how the spread is occurring. And so we really, really you need don't think everyone people are taking it seriously? I think that there are a lot of people who are doing the right things. But I think that, unfortunately, we're finding out a lot of people think this can't happen to them. Exactly. And we all need a wake-up call of how contagious it is and what we can do. At the same time, uh, blasting the governor of Georgia, Georgia, for being prudent in how he's handling it and backing up local officials who want to take more action than he's taken. I think that's the right approach. We're not all, each county in Georgia is unique. It's like each state. The, the, the national media wants to look at the entire nation when 52% of the cases right now are coming from New York City. You've got a, less than 50% of the cases are spread out new york and the rest of the country combined and 52 percent in one city in one state and yet the media wants to shut down the entire country and keep everyone at home everywhere right now because of new york city's numbers are, are offset yeah do we need to stay home for a week probably all of us could stand to just stay in our homes and on our property for a week and all this would go go over we, we see it happening in italy right now they, they've been able to get past the curve by sheltering in place but when you got areas of relative low impact, why wipe them out economically, particularly rural parts of the state that are already struggling here in Georgia, uh, when the big issue is in the metro areas? Maybe shut down the metro areas and not the rural areas. But, hey, that's what the counties are for. Let the county governments do that. Let the governor back them up. That's what he's doing. And yet the media is just setting their hair on fire over Brian Kemp's going to get us all killed when, in fact, he's trying to do two things at once. He's trying to protect lives but also protect the economic engine of the state. You know, it is really remarkable if uh, this viral spread shuts down Planned Parenthood, it may actually save more lives than it takes. Uh, given Planned Parenthood has decided it's an essential service in California and has decided to stay open to keep killing people uh, as this virus spreads. Uh, if it shuts it down, wow, uh, net upside. Uh, well, we got to find a silver lining somewhere. The phone number here, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Amy, you're going to be next on the show. Welcome. Oh, goodness. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Um, I just was listening to you comment about the Atlanta Constitution. and um, Editorial. I'm nervous. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. But I was <laughs> – 
thinking, you know, the goal is to slow the spread. This is a new virus mm-hmm. at this point in time. Um, we're bound to get it because we have no immunity or antibody. There is a promising treatment, and, you know, we are going to slow the spread. And I agree about having what Kemp is doing, you know, and how to slow it without shutting everything down. Yeah, you know, you're right. Well, first of all, you know, so the CDC is saying they think in the worst case, if we led this spread like the flu, in addition to about a million people dying, uh, just given the adjusted rates of of mortality, there would be possibly 85% of the country infected with it. Uh, And they do think if we are able to everybody shelter in place, uh, we can get maybe about 20% of people who get it. Uh, but there is the issue that the urban-rural divide that uh, folks like the Atlanta Journal-Constitution in Atlanta, that they don't pay attention to that. And it's a real issue here. People are more spread out in their local communities in rural Georgia than they are in packed into urban areas. We know nationally the way the virus is spreading. It is much more likely to impact cities than, it, than to impact towns and rural areas. And what's good for the goose is not necessarily good for the gander. The the prescription for urban and suburban areas where people are more likely to get together than, than rural areas is different. So, for example, in a rural area, you don't do you don't shut down all of the businesses, but you do say, please don't go to church on Sunday and don't go to school because that then puts you into confined spaces with people who could be infectious and spread the infection. But if you're living life down on your farm uh, in South Georgia, you're already pretty well isolated, uh, but you want to go in and, and grab something to eat from a restaurant, go go get to go from a restaurant. Don't, don't go eat at the restaurant, but get to go from the restaurant. As opposed to in Atlanta, maybe shut down all the restaurants and, and just leave the grocery stores, the banks, the pharmacies, and the gas stations open. Uh, there are ways to do this that take into account an approach that is regional specific as opposed to the one size fits all approach that, and you know, if you're a healthcare expert, I, I understand your concerns too. You do want a one size fits all approach to stop this as best you can. But the role of a leader is to balance the experts and the governor is listening to his experts. He's listening to the public health officials right now and he's doing what they recommend and a regional approach is working for him in Georgia. It's just a great media freak out here in Georgia as to what's actually going on and how to get this thing over with. The governor's going to join me in the next hour, by the way. I guess I need to get back on the recipes, don't I? I'm sorry. I kind of fell down on the job in that regard. My apologies. There's There's been a lot going on. Honest to goodness, I have been busier in the past two weeks than I think I've been in the last year, and that includes launching the show with the exception of planning the resurgent gathering last year. And it's because there are a bunch of people who are suddenly finding themselves working from home who have never worked from home before, and they're not having people I've decided. This is my hypothesis, at least. My unproven hypothesis is that they're not having people come in their office all the time and distract them. So now they're sitting at home saying, huh, Erickson works from home. He must have time to kill like I do, so I'm going to call him. And the number of text messages I've gotten and phone calls I've gotten from people I work with uh, in the last week has just been amazing. Um, it just, wow. Uh, nonstop, nonstop uh, phone calls and meetings and requests for meetings and video chats. And I, I finally have decided, so I went over to Publix uh, near me yesterday 
And you know, when was you know, listen, I've gone to Publix a lot for for a virus spreading around the place. I've been going to Publix a whole lot. Um, and but I was there on Sunday. And on Sunday, I noticed that all of the foundation and concealer was sold out. And there was actually a, a eyeliner was sold out. I mean, just just a whole shelf full of cosmetics sold out. And I couldn't figure out why. I, I realized, that, look, I, I'm kind of disappointed in humanity. There hasn't been a beer run. Uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm glad there hasn't, but at the same time, you, you, you got a critical virus coming and you're stuck in your house. And, and I mean, the shelves of beer are sent and wine and the liquor stores that they're not, they're not seeing the rush. I personally, I, I think the, the homeschool parents all of a sudden, or the, the non-homeschool parents who are suddenly homeschooling that now is a great time to, to toy with alcohol is I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But still, uh, the milk, the eggs, they're gone. The beer, you know, if it was a hurricane or a snowstorm, all the beer would be gone. But we just got a virus uh, killing humanity. And so everybody's <laughs> nonetheless, I digress. So I, I go to go to Publix and, and the makeup is all gone. I mean, who 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 has a run on makeup when, when there's killer virus on the march? Well, it turns out uh, several friends of mine assure me it's because everyone is now doing video conferencing at home on Zoom and Skype for business and the like. And so they're trying to put their best face forward by putting on makeup for their conferences. I mean, now is the time God gave humanity to work in sweatpants and a T-shirt from home, if not your underwear. And people are getting dolled up in the house in a way they don't normally get dolled up at the office. I mean, don't you have a supply of makeup to begin with? I, uh, the whole thing is befuddling to me, but I'm, I'm not a woman, so maybe I, I should not complain. I, I shouldn't go there. I'm just going to get myself. I'm really going to start getting text messages from women listening to this program, aren't I? In any event, the phone number here, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. If you're calling in, uh, j- just, just uh, to let you know, we are dealing with some gremlins here. Pull back the show curtain just a little bit and, and give you more information than you ever wanted to know about what goes on here. There is a thing called an ISDN. You know your basic landline phone. An ISDN is essentially two landline phones put together. So you get a single, you get two phone numbers for one line and it produces what you're listening to right now. It is a radio quality, audio quality, high resolution audio that goes over a phone line. It connects me from the the self-quarantine center that I'm in uh, to my radio station in Atlanta. It is transmitted to our flagship station, WGAU in Athens, Georgia, uh, which hosts the program, and then it, it is spread out through the Georgia News Network over a series of tubes known as the Internet and, and a satellite system to local local radio stations along the way. Well, there's a catch. Uh, local phone companies are trying to get people to stop using ISDN. In fact, there's a big movement now among phone companies more and more to get people out of landlines. I may be one of the last houses in America with an actual landline phone. Uh, other than my parents. And and I keep it because I do a lot of radio interviews and a landline phone sounds better in most cases than a cell phone. It really is remarkable to me that in the 21st century, we have degraded the sound quality of a phone call for convenience. And I get, yeah, convenient. you can still hear the person. Uh, now they've got HD systems, like an iPhone to an iPhone call sounds very, very good. Uh, but an iPhone to an Android device, of course, Android devices suck anyway, no offense, but they do. <laughs> um, but the, the quality isn't as good. And so I use this ISDN system, the, and they're not really fixing them so much. They're not really putting resources, the phone company isn't, into these phone systems. So we're having issues with the line because you can get water into the phone line. 
And when you do, it sounds very garbled. And we had this problem yesterday at the start of the show, and then on my evening show, uh, we had the same problem. So I had to order equipment to change out how we do the show to a voiceover IP system, and I'm waiting for the equipment to ship, so it should be here later this week, uh, so that I can make sure that the show is more stable. And along the way, you have Wi-Fi, internet problems. It's amazing how rain can mess things up like that, and we have had nonstop rain and it just, it, it's just, it's a very weird setup. But along the way, we're also having problems with the phone line. So some people are calling and they're getting through. We've had their calls. Other people are calling and the line disconnects on them. And maybe they're just hanging up. Maybe they've gotten mad at me. I've said something while they're calling and they're hanging up. But it's just, it, 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 radio is a weird world. You know, I, I fell into it completely by accident. Uh, in Macon, uh, the local guy in the mornings, uh, not Kenny Bergamy, who many of you, if you're listening to Macon, you know, but the guy who replaced him. And, um, the guy who replaced him, eventually he, he was caught in, in a house. He claimed he was making a rap label, but there were lots of drugs there and they needed someone to replace him. I was on CNN at the time and they called and asked if I want to do radio. I'd never done radio before. And I said, sure. What the heck? So I did 6am to 9am and just kind of fell into it. And I still know nothing. I one time made the terrible mistake in radio of asking if I could learn how to use the board. Now, if you've ever seen a radio or TV station, there are these great big boards and, and they're control boards and mixers and all the microphones plug into them. And you have little levels that you can raise and lower to raise and lower the volume of the microphone and, and the different feeds. And there are all sorts of buttons. And I just thought, you know, I, I should learn how to do this. And the reason I wanted to learn was very specific. My very first week in radio at WSB in Atlanta, uh, the, 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 it's one of the largest talk stations in the country. I was the very first person they ever hired to do a week weekday show who had no experience in radio. They thought I had experience in radio because I was on in Macon. They didn't realize that it wasn't my show and I was there because somebody got arrested. Uh, so they hire me. And I'm in the in the studio, and I'm waiting. Herman Cain is running for president. That's why they hired me. They're going to move me into his slot 7 to 10 p.m. But until they're 7 to 9 p.m., they've adjusted it. So I'm doing 9 to midnight. And I'm there the very first week. And there's a board op. His name is Ted. I I, I don't. That's all I know about Ted. I, I can't even really tell you what he looks like anymore. But he couldn't be there that week because there's that terrible ice storm in 2011. And so I'm there. They're having people sleep. I'm having to sleep at the floor of the studio. Well, the next week they haven't put a radio line in my house yet. They haven't put in an ISDN line. So I'm literally driving back and forth to Atlanta every day to do my show from Macon. I drive up to Atlanta, do my show nine to midnight, get home about one thirty in the morning, sleep late, and do it all over again. And so the, the second week of radio, I go up to Atlanta, I'm doing this, and there's Ted, and Ted is behind the glass one day, the only day I've ever seen Ted. And Ted is technically my board up. Ted is technically the person who turns on and off my microphone and adjusts the volume and stuff. And I didn't know that Ted had some issues. And I look through the glass and I point my finger at Ted to tell him it's time to go to commercial and, and it's on cue. So I, I point my finger. And when I point my finger to Ted, it's like the force is with my finger. And as my finger goes out and points in his direction, all I see is the guy behind the glass fall backwards. His eyes have rolled up into his head, and he's it's like slow motion happening. Now, it's, it's not slow motion. It's in real time. But the, as I replay this in my head, that's all I can see is this guy falling over backwards. And there's no one there to go to commercial. So I'm trying to talk and text people in the building at the same time to tell them, please come help. There's an emergency. I think someone just died. He, he didn't die. Uh, he just, he passed out. He had some issues and, <laughs> and I couldn't go to commercial. 
So when it comes to this point of of I'm having conversations with my boss of of we have annual self improvement things we want to improve on in radio. Every yes, even in radio, they make us do this. And and one of the things I want to improve is I figure I need to learn how to run the board. Just in case something like that ever happened again, I, I'm scarred for life by this. It's my second week in radio. Never had a job in radio before. I'd really like to keep this job. And the dude passed out on me. And maybe I should learn how to run the board. And do you know, absolutely not. They, they, to this day, I have now been in radio for nine years. And I have never learned how to use the radio board. I can I can program computers. I've bought my own equipment. I've put all sorts of stuff in. But when it actually comes to learning to run a radio board, I have no idea. And I'm actually a professional radio show host now. Uh, and apparently it's very common. It, it's not quite union rules, but at the same time, they do kind of firewall us off. So we, we, we can't learn the board ops job. And, you know, you don't want to be a jack of all trades and master of nuns. I guess I, I master, of, master of nuns. No, I'm sorry. A master of none. But you get my point. It's just a, a, a random look. So that's, 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 I have no idea why I went down that tangent, but Hey, y'all are tired of talking about the coronavirus too. Aren't you? Uh, well, there is an election out there and what on God's good earth is happening, uh, in this campaign, 2020 election, there hasn't been a ton of polling. Everybody's been focused. And you know, what's so interesting is the reason there hasn't been a ton of polling is because there has been polling. You're scratching your head now. What on earth? The reason there hasn't been a ton of polling is because there has been polling. Now, does that make sense to any of you? Let me explain. I promise you, I'm not twisting my tongue here as I sometimes do. There has actually been polling. And the polling is really quite good for the president of the United States right now. In an ABC News poll, 56% of Americans approve of his handling of the virus, uh, of the viral response. In another national poll, it's 60% of Americans approve of what he's doing to handle the virus. In fact, let me see if I can find that polling here this morning. The president's job approval numbers are going up uh, in relation to the president spending time on TV on a daily basis looking presidential in dealing with the virus. And as a result, the media is not covering their own polls. The media is not covering what's going on. The media is trying to manufacture drama between the president and Anthony Fauci, as opposed to actually covering the fact that most Americans, a majority of Americans, a majority of independents, an overwhelming majority of Republicans, and a plurality of Democrats approve of the president's handling of the coronavirus response. And so the media can't cover it. The media has got to find other things to cover because they don't want you to know that their own polling shows the president's doing well right now. And there's this, what about Joe Biden? What is Joe Biden doing? Where is Joe Biden? Joe Biden's not good at this. Why isn't Joe Biden out there? Can we get Joe Biden on? It's remarkable that, that Joe Biden is not doing a media tour right now on how he would do things differently. But the media is having a hard time doing that because if you will recall... And when Barack Obama was president and we had lost our credit rating, when we were in a fight with the debt ceiling and the, there was the Libyan situation, the Benghazi situation, all that, the media refused to allow Mitt Romney to interject himself and look presidential and, and say what he would do differently. They, they refused to let Mitt Romney go on the world tour. And as much as they don't like the president and as much as they're willing to be hypocrites for, the Demer for Joe Biden, it's a bridge too far for them to let Joe Biden essentially run a shadow operation, a shadow government. They're afraid that would actually do more harm than good. 
So the thing that the media is doing right now is they're trying to sow discord between the president and Dr. Fauci for ratings, no less for ratings. All of these stories out now about, oh, the the president doesn't like Dr. Fauci. Dr. Fauci doesn't like the president. Dr. Fauci's undermining the president. Here's what Dr. Fauci actually has said. Every single time that I, and and when I say every day, it's like almost every day. (laughs) It's not like once a month. Um, we, we're in the, in the task force meeting. There are several of us, myself included, I'm not the only one, that's a scientist or a public health person. There are other people who have other responsibilities, so we get a good sampling of, of expertise that you need. And it's led by the vice president. Secretary Azar is there as the secretary of HHS. And we talk about every aspect, and we, we make all of our decisions and recommendations that are based on the science. I have never in that room had a situation where I said scientifically this is the right thing to do it and they said don't do it or scientifically this is the wrong thing to do and they did it anyway. Then we get up and we present it to the president and he asks a lot of questions. That's his nature. He's constantly asking you questions. And I never in the multiple times that I've done that, where I said, for scientific reasons, we really should do this, that he hasn't said, let's do it. Or when he's decided, not decided, when he suggests, why don't we do this? And I say, no, that's really not a good idea from a scientific standpoint. He has never overruled me. The president has never overruled Dr. Fauci on the science. You would not know that if you listen to a lot of people in the media who can't help themselves but sow discord over this stuff. They, they can't help themselves but play up the drama. They can't get Joe Biden on to run a shadow government operation, so they got to do what they can to undermine the president. Multiple media outlets ran stories tying Donald Trump to an idiot who took a Corklin phosphate and died. Corklin phosphate is used to clean algae out of tanks, out of aquariums. And they ran, they ran the story claiming that here, here's the tweet here. Here's the tweet from Axios. They've ultimately deleted it. Let me read you the tweet. And then what they said, a man has died after ingesting Coraclin phosphate, one of the anti-malaria drugs that Trump has mentioned in recent days. And here, here's the tweet or here's the, the revision. We have deleted this tweet and corrected our story because it did not reflect the full nature of the self-medication done with an additive commonly used to clean fish tanks. Coraclin phosphate is not core chloroquine but the media conflated it and this idiot did and died and they tried to blame the president of the united states for one idiot taking fish aquarium cleaner thinking it would cure him of the virus this is why nobody believes the american press corps Hello there. The phone number, if you'd like to be a part of the program, is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. One note here on things to be thinking of is in, we're going to have Easter coming up in two weeks. Good Friday is in two weeks. And I always do a Good Friday show. And very much like the Easter show or or the Christmas show, but I actually started with a Good Friday show. And the reason I started with a Good Friday show when I started doing radio is I never actually worked for a company that didn't take Good Friday off as a holiday. And I got into radio and the radio company I was working for did not take Good Friday off. Uh, It was just it was another work day. And and that's fine. uh, Corporate decisions. Uh, And 
but what I decided to do is if they were going to make me work on Good Friday, I was going to do a show about Good Friday. And the reason is it's not to do an entire religious spiel, although so many people aren't going to church. We may be a little more sermonizing than normal. But the reason I decided to go in that direction was because it actually is, even according to a variety of, of unbelieving historians, atheist historians and the like, uh, they're even willing to put it in the top five, if not the very top of most important days in human history. If you survey historians, even a lot of atheist historians will say the killing of a man named Jesus in Jerusalem in somewhere around AD 33 was the turning point in human history. Uh, most important. Now, it's right up there with Alexander conquering the world, uh, Julius Caesar uh, marching across the, the Rubicon, uh, and other events. Um, it, it is one of the most important events in human history. I, I would argue is the most important, and most historians would argue is the most important because of what it did, not just to the West, but to the East. Uh, Christianity was one of the first religions to spread from the East to the West. It spread over to um, it spread to India, spread into Africa, spread across Europe, uh, spread up into, into Russia, uh, pretty powerful. And so I always spend a few hours on Good Friday talking, if not about the faith of it, the history of it, because it certainly is a powerful history, how it changed the shape of the planet. And even now Christianity is, is completely discombobulated. The Chinese, they don't know what to do with it. Uh, the, the harder they, they try to stamp it out, the more the number of Christians in China grows. But one of the things I do related to that is I try to rope in church music, uh, not non non contemporary uh, secular music. I, I try to bring in secu- sectarian. As I sneeze on the air, I try to bring in sectarian music. Try to bring in uh, hymns. If your church or your band or a band you're familiar with uh, plays music and you have recordings and you want me to consider for Good Friday then let me know. Uh, you can email me, eric, E-R-I-C-K, at theresurgent.com. And I try to rope that in. It, it, surely there will be Andrew Peterson songs in there, um, Behold the Lamb and things like that. Uh, but, uh, and is he worthy? That'll be in there, I, I know for sure. Uh, there's some good stuff out there, and I'm willing to consider it. Uh, there are some Georgia groups I make sure to include all the time in there. We'll continue to do that. But if your church or your group or your favorite band has some relevant music for a program about Easter and Good Friday, shoot me a line, eric at theresurgent.com. I'm happy to consider it. And for a lot of people, I, I'm afraid, given the shutdowns of churches and stuff, that may be uh, the most that they have. You know, there's a church near me, Piedmont Church. Uh, our church was going to do it, and I think we had some technical issues and couldn't. Uh, but this other church in town, uh, here in Macon, they set up a, a FM transmitter hub, and the preacher stood up at the front of the door of the church and preached with a microphone and an FM transmitter, and people parked in their cars in the parking lot, sheltering in their cars, listening to the sermon on the FM uh, not a bad idea. A lot of people moving to streaming, a lot of preachers recording in advance their sermons. And honest to goodness, you should pray for these people who have never actually encountered uh, their own voice or themselves on video. It's it's not an easy thing. I do not like to listen to myself on the radio. And I do not like to, to watch myself on TV. When I'm on TV, I never watch the clips after. And I started to. When I first did it, I would watch because I wanted to correct things that I didn't like. But more and more, man, I can't listen to my own voice. I, I think I got a voice for radio and, a, and a, a face for radio and a voice for print. 
but there we are. That's life. And here I am on the radio. So when we come back, the governor is going to join me at 1130. And we do need to move on to some of the other news of the day. There's an update in what Congress is doing right now. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. The bottom of the hour, Governor Kemp is going to join me. We timed it specially uh, for the folks listening over on the dock uh, at Lake Oconee who are picking up this hour. And and let me explain to them why you're hearing me right now, um, because they're new here. Uh, yesterday and today are their first days. Uh, and so I am Eric Erickson and you know, this may be a refresher for some of you. So, so I, I do an evening news program in Atlanta and, uh, I'm also doing a statewide show in Georgia at nine to noon. And the reason I'm doing it is because there is not a show that really covers the national news from a Georgia perspective. We're increasingly becoming an important state, a possible swing state, among other things. And uh, I, I very much want to want uh, expand into a national show. Very much want to do that. But right now we are a Georgia show, and I want to focus on Georgia. We got a virus spreading and wanted to make the show available to stations around the state so that I can cover the spread of the virus, the news of the day, have the governor on and uh, folks over in uh, Lake Oconee uh, at the dock decided they would take the third hour. And I made sure reached out to the governor's office. Uh, he wanted to come on this morning and said, can you come on in the 11 o'clock hour and I'll have all the stations together for it. He said, yes. So the governor will be joining us at uh, 1130. Now, if you want to join us, the full number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. And if you want to get all of the, the data that I've been sending out, text the word data to 33777. I'll send you back a link to my daily email. I'll send you back a link to the Georgia Department of Public Health uh, daily audit on the spread of the virus and to the Johns Hopkins dashboard. Let me do the the viral uh, spread here in Georgia. I've been doing this now. Several of the program directors uh, for this uh, who are carrying the show have asked if I would do it at the top of each hour, just as kind of an, an audit for everyone who floats in and out. Uh, there are 800 cases in Georgia now. 26 of them uh, have died. Uh, that is a 3.25% mortality rate for cases here in Georgia, 59% of the cases are 18 to 59, 36% are 60 and older, 50% are female, 48 male, 2% unknown. Uh, the odds are they're either male or female, not one of the other 57 genders. Now, uh, audit trail of county by county, 152 in Fulton, 79 Cobb, 74 DeKalb, 69 Darty, 61 Bartow, 35 Gwinnett, 24 Cherokee, 21 Carroll, 19 Clayton, 19 Lee, 14 Clark, 11 Fayette, 11 Richmond, 10 Floyd, 10 Hall, 9 Coweta, 9 Henry, 8 Lowndes, 7 Douglas, 7 Forsyth, 6 Gordon, 5 in Paulding and Rockdale, 4 in Chatham, Glen, Newton, Polk, Spalding and Troop, 3 in Columbia, Lamar, Oconee, Peach, Pickens, Worth, Two in Baldwin, Bibb, Butts, Early, Effingham, Lawrence, Lumpkin, Muskogee, Sumter, Terrell, Tift, and Whitfield. And then one in Barrow, Burke, Catoosa, Charlton, Chattooga, Clinch, Coffee, Dawson, Harris, Hurd, Houston, Liberty, Lincoln, Madison, Miller, Monroe, Morgan, Pierce, Randolph, Tattnall, Turner, Twiggs, and Washington counties. And there are 46 additional people. We're not sure where their residence is. That is the spread of the virus thus far. Now, in Washington, D.C., we may have some resolution. Mitch McConnell suggesting we're on the five-yard line. 
uh, about to advance this legislation out of the United States Congress to the president's desk. It appears the Democrats and Republicans together have hit on some level of resolution as to what they want. They have decided to come up with a plan. Uh, Here's an interesting bit here. Uh, Let's see. Can I play this? Yeah, this is Jim Cramer interviewed Nancy Pelosi about what she wants in the plan and had this to say on CNBC a short time ago. Okay, Jim, uh, thank you for that. Of course, bringing us Speaker Pelosi, the market, as you point out, of course, and everybody else watching very closely. We do have the S&P up over 6%. Uh, unanimous consent, an important component there, given it wouldn't require much in terms of that and can move things along very quickly in terms of the vote. Exactly. Uh, let's I mean, come back. Let's David, take a you, break. You, and let's I think come the back. problem yeah. is no wish list. I hope she puts aside the wish list. That's Jim Cramer saying, put aside the wish list, talking to David Favor. They're, they're both broadcasting from their homes right now. Uh, and just to give you a sense of where things are right now, as the as the Republicans advance this legislation now, the Dow has gone up 1,300 points, the NASDAQ up 378 points, and the S&P 500 is up right now 142 points. The New York Stock Exchange itself up 636 points at 11, 11 a.m. on the 24th. To give you a sense of where things stand in New York uh, on the stock exchange, and it is looks like both sides are going to come up with some level of deal here now. Um, McConnell has been on the floor of the Senate in just the last little while, blasting what he's doing uh, or blasting what Nancy Pelosi is doing. Here is uh, him from the last thirty minutes. At different times, we received Democrat counteroffers that demanded things like new emission standards or tax credits for solar panels. We saw the Speaker of the House release an encyclopedia of unrelated demands as though it were a coronavirus proposal somehow. In spite of all that, we are very close. That's McConnell letting us know things are close. It looks like they're going to scrap a lot of the Democratic wish list. They've gotten a lot of blowback even from uh, reporters who tend to be sympathetic, although they've got certain reporters out there defending Pelosi and trying to blame the president for everything. Let's go to the phones here as well. 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Jim and Decatur, you're going to be up first. Welcome. Thank you. Well, as far as sending checks out to the American people, uh, President Ford tried that in the 70s, Bush in the early 2000s, and uh, a lot of people in, uh, under President Bush did what I did, which is just take 300 bucks and wipe it off my credit card. And so the, uh, it, it never did work then. Why will it work now? That's a good question. You know, Barack Obama did it as well, $1,000 in, in his stimulus plan in 2009, and, and it didn't have economic success then either. A, a great friend of mine has pointed that out uh, to me the other day when I was talking about this. And so the reason they think it now is different from then is because those were to get to consumers who were already in uh, the economy. Those consumers were people who had jobs and were going to work, and they were hoping that they would wipe out, they would go out and buy stuff. And in reality, what they did is they did the responsible thing, most of them, and they paid off their debts. Here we're in a situation where you've got people who are on the sidelines now and can't go to work, and they need the money to pay their credit card bill. They need the money to buy their groceries. They need the money to pay their mortgage. Uh, and so now they're hoping. When you look at the when you looked at Obama and Bush and Ford. 
their thinking was, we're going to give Americans checks so that they can go out and spend money and generate economic growth, which is a dumb way to look at it. When you look at this one, they're thinking we need to give people money so they can do what those people with Obama, Ford, and Bush actually did. We need to give people money to help them make ends meet because they can't pay their debts right now. This is why, by the way, my proposed solution that nobody in Washington seems to want to take seriously is to do essentially a biblical jubilee sort of thing, a modified one. Uh, in jubilee periods, every 49 years, you, you wipe out all the debts. Everybody's forgiven. Everybody resets. They never actually did it. It's one of the reasons God cites us going into exile is they never did the whole jubilee thing. Um, what we need to do is just say, if you, your mortgage, we're going to add three months on to your mortgage, your car loan, whatever. And for the next three months, you don't have to pay anything. You don't have to pay your credit card bills. Your, your interest rate's not going to go up. You're not going to get extra interest. You're not going to do any of this stuff. You're not going to get fees. You're not going to get penalties and your credit rating is not going to be screwed up. We're just going to let you for the next three months, not pay your debts. And we'll stretch it out later on the backside. And to the extent that people need bailing out, the government can bail them out. The government can take care of the landlords. I actually know some people who are landlords who are taking the loss right now. They've planned ahead. Uh, they had money in the bank, and they're telling their tenants, don't pay me for the next month. Uh, we, we, can, we can work this out later. Uh, and good for them for doing that, but not everybody is doing that and probably do need to be that we need to be doing something like that as opposed to just writing people checks. Because what's happening right now is people don't have money to make ends meet. And they, they got to free up resources to buy groceries because they don't have a job right now. Well, let them not have to pay their mortgage or their car loan or their credit card bill or their student loan bill for the next few months so that they can buy their groceries and, and things like that. That makes sense to me, but it doesn't to Congress. Now, back to the phones, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Ray, you're next. Welcome. Hi, Ray. Yes, sir. Uh, I'm one of the people that probably still remembers the flu in 1957. I was in bed for three days, but I don't ever remember going to a doctor, though. Right. Uh, that, that was about uh, <laughs> Interestingly enough, that was the, the Asian flu pandemic of 1957. Uh, started, guess where? In China, no less. Um, and it was a flu strain. Now, here's the here's the big difference between that one and this one is that that was an actual influenza strain. And so the mortality rate for that influenza strain was like your typical influenza strain of um, 30 to 60,000 people. In fact, uh, I'm looking this up right now. Encyclopedia Britannica, uh, the virus spread throughout China surrounding regions by midsummer. It reached the United States where it appeared to have initially infected relatively few people. Uh, as the temperatures cooled down, however, numerous cases of infection were reported, especially young children, the elderly and the pregnant. The upsurge in cases was a result of a second pandemic wave of illness that struck the Northern hemisphere in November of 1957. At that time, the pandemic was also widespread in the UK by December, a total of 3,550 deaths were reported in England and Wales. The second wave was particularly devastating. By March of 1958, 69,800 deaths had occurred in the United States. Now, you're thinking, hmm, well, we've got about 1,000 deaths in the United States right now. We've got uh, 47,000 cases. By the way, if you want to see that data, text the word data to 33777. But here's here's the the difference is that because so many people have immunity to the flu naturally, these flu pandemics have largely been allowed to spread, whether it's H1N1 or H2N2 or H3N2. These are all types of influenza. This is not an influenza. 
this COVID-19 is not a flu. It has flu-like symptoms, which is why so many people are confusing it with the flu, but it's not the flu. It's something completely different. It is a virus that jumped from animals to people, a coronavirus, uh, different from the strain of the flu. And if it spreads like the flu spreads, we will see 1% die instead of a tenth of a percent die. And so you'll get uh, 690,000 as opposed to uh, 69,000. So you, you got issues there and we need to be on the safe side of what's going on here so be careful out there try to stay home if you can and don't get this particularly if you're elderly now there are plenty of elderly people who get this and they're they're a-okay they have nothing wrong with them but then there are a lot of people who get it and i mean even young people now we're starting to see these reports of young people winding up in icu it is not the flu that's something everybody needs to remember flu-like symptoms does not make something the flu and this is not the flu. It's it's uh, more dangerous than the flu, though thankfully less dangerous than a lot of other things. Uh, Robin, uh, you're going to be next. Welcome. Hey, how you doing? Good, how are you? Uh, I supported, y'all doing fine. Yes, I supported the first stimulus by Barack Obama and when he bailed out the banks and everything. But I said the next time they come with a stimulus, do not uh, support it. Because after all, the banks they and their executives got rich. But now, this uh, the question I want to ask you: that Do you think that the this budget that they're trying to pass is beneficial to the Republican Party or beneficial to the Democratic Party? And I said because um, what is going to happen again is that the big executives are going to get bailed out and. Uh, uh, the people who really need the money, as for the regular citizen, as I guess Bernie uh, Sanders calling the socialist society, compared to what Rush Limbaugh say, the capitalist society, which uh, I don't really believe what Rush well, Limbaugh so, said. Anyway, Robin, I, I, I've actually got an answer for you here. Uh, according to the plain language of the legislation, uh, executive compensation will not be allowed to come from this money nor will it be allowed to come from freed-up resources. So you're not going to have any executive compensation. Likewise, stock buybacks will be prohibited for the companies that take this. And likewise, they will not be allowed to lay off employees. Uh, they'll have to maintain employment levels that they maintained effective March 13th. So they won't be able to now take all this money and then lay off a bunch of people and use the money for other things. Uh, so Congress, and this Republicans and Democrats alike, came up with this plan. Uh, it is designed to benefit small businesses, and it is designed to benefit the workers not designed to benefit executive compensation or to do stock buybacks. They are thinking about that stuff largely because they're looking at the prior things. Like, for example, the uh, president's tax cuts. So much of the money for the corporate tax cuts went into buying stock back and raising the value, which helps shareholders. Didn't necessarily help a lot of the workers. And they're trying to, to make sure that companies don't game the system this time like they've done in the past. But it's really hard to block companies from wanting to do what companies want to do with their money. Well, we got the governor coming up uh, in the next half hour, so stick around. going to talk to him about what he's just done and, and talk to him about why not uh, shut down the whole state. Uh, why, why not do that? Uh, let us go to the phones, 877-973-7425. Sonny, you're going to be next. Welcome. Hi, Eric. Hi there. I'm in the process. I'm in the process right now of moving my daughter out of uh, her apartment at Georgia College. Oh God! And I bless just you. think it's really ironic that the university system of Georgia brought all students back to campuses to move stuff out, stuff that we <laughs> really don't need. 
Yeah. Um, you know, this could have waited. I sent emails. I finally got a response from her school's public affairs saying that they were following CDC guidelines. But again, why did we need to do this? We could have waited, you know, during this two-week period that everybody's hunkered down. But they insisted everybody come from all parts of the state back to campus to get their stuff. Yeah, that, that's dumb. And, you know, I know somebody who's in a similar situation at Georgia Southern. Uh, and what Georgia Southern did is they designated uh, certain times for people to be in and they broke the list down by dorm. So you don't have everybody in at one time. But you're not the first person to reach out to me about Georgia College saying it's basically everybody show up and, and get it done, which is kind of dumb. I mean, it's not like they're going to be housing people in the dorms for the next little while. Uh, why not just exactly let people stay or, or now is your daughter a senior? No, she's a sophomore. Oh, so so she's planning on going back. So yeah, I mean, a, oh, another yeah. reason just just let the stuff stay. That just yeah, listen, the a- academics it sometimes no sense. It, it makes none. I, yeah. uh, and uh, thanks very much for the call, Sonny. And and just a, a a tip of the hat to Georgia Southern that did this thoughtfully, at least according to a couple of different parents I know who are in a similar situation. My kids aren't young enough for, or, or, or aren't old enough for college. I got middle schoolers. Um, and I'm about to have a high schooler. Ugh. Uh, but nonetheless, um, I know people who their kids are at Georgia Southern and they were concerned about Georgia Southern and they got a follow-up email saying they were going to designate times based on dormitories and, and numbers of people to allow people to come in. They didn't want everyone on campus at the same time. Um, and I, I just, listen, I, I realize if you're moving out next year, you're not going to stay in the same place. Maybe maybe go on and get your stuff. But if you're going back to school next year, just leave it. At least leave it another month. All it's doing is collecting dust unless you got bad stuff in the refrigerator. Maybe tell people come in if you got stuff in the refrigerator in your dorm, clean it out so it doesn't stink. But really, I'm I'm just I'm not sure that that's the smartest was the smartest thing to do. Now, uh, maybe I'll have to ask the governor about that. Uh, he's coming up in the next half hour. Uh, something that I do see circulating right now that is worth uh, exploring is this story. I mentioned it briefly that uh, an idiot decided to take uh, chloroquine phosphate. Chloroquine phosphate, if you don't know, is the tablets or liquid that can be used in aquariums to kill the algae that grows on glass. And it has the word chloroquine in it. And so some idiot decided to ingest it. One person died and another is in serious condition in the hospital. And the media is having a field day blaming the president of the United States for an idiot drinking algae poison. It's really hard for me. To, and, you know, I, I'm one of those people who has insisted the media generally is not the enemy of the people. And it's really increasingly hard to take that position when so much of the media behaves that way. When so much of the media behaves in a way designed to do maximum damage to the president as possible uh, during these times, uh, trying to trying to. Uh, push stories that are deranged to push, that are not legitimate stories, that are designed to do damage to the president. It's just, it's it's silly, and, and people are just losing their minds over this stuff. 
And it's unfortunate to see, it's unfortunate to hear, it's unfortunate to witness, it's unfortunate to read that the media would much rather treat this as an ordinary partisan move than to actually look at the situation and say, okay, there's a problem, and what are we going to do to advance it? Remember the person who asked the dumb question and someone someone left the question on their chair of what, are, what did your question have to do with helping stop the spread of the virus? What does this line of attack on the president have to do with helping stop the spread of the virus? They, they can't answer that question. They don't want to answer that question. They just want to be partisan hacks for the Democratic Party and wonder why people don't take them seriously. Uh, coming up in about five minutes or so, Governor Brian Kemp is going to be joining me uh, to talk about his latest order locking and not locking down the whole state, but uh, locking in, uh, ordering those who have uh, vulnerable states and immune systems to shelter in place and shutting down nightclubs and bars. Before we get there, uh, let me go back to the phones to Bernard. Welcome to the program. Hey, Eric, how you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Uh, now, forgive me if you've already covered this matter, but uh, I just wanted—I don't listen to you as often as I, I, that I would right. like to. But uh, how do you fit uh, your uh, PCA theology into this uh, coronavirus uh, uh, outbreak and all? Do you believe God orchestrated it and caused it, or do you, or you think it's because of the fallen nature and how uh, result of sin and all that? that is involved Ooh, in that. That, that's a good question, Bernard. Um, you know, I would go to the Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, the Reformed perspective on this, uh, pro the, on providence uh, in relation to the foreknowledge and decree of God, the first cause, all things come to pass immutably and infallibly, yet by the same providence... He ordered them to fall out according to the nature of the second cause, either necessarily, freely, or contingently. Uh, God, in his ordinary providence, makes use of means, yet is free to work without, above, and against them at his pleasure. And then uh, in chapter 6, it talks about essentially uh, even regenerate man is not spared the fallen nature of the world. Uh, all of this is a fancy way of saying uh, all things work for the good of those called according to his purpose. Uh, and uh, things that are meant for evil, God can mean for good. And yes, we can look at this and say God is sovereign and on the throne and, and he has caused these things to happen. Uh, but the other way to look at this is it's not that God seeded plague on the planet, but that he allowed it to come to pass. Uh, it God's not absent from the throne, and all things work for the good of those called according to His purpose. So we got we understand God in His sovereignty has allowed this to spread, affecting the the saved and the unsaved alike, uh, in ways we may not understand, but ultimately to glorify Him. Uh, it, there's a lot of people try, I think, to put more division between free will and uh, predestination than there should be. Uh, my pastors used a great explanation before that it's almost two sides of a roof. Uh, depending on which side you look at, you either see free will or you or you see uh, predestination. You, you see God pulling all the strings. God is not a puppet master. We do have free volition. Uh, we do make choices in our daily lives, and also bad things happen because we're on a fallen world. So there are plagues, there's viruses, there's cancer, there's disease, there's murder, there's there's all sorts of sin because we're in a fallen state and God knows it and God knows it's going to happen and God allows it to happen uh, for greater purposes. How many people will in some way be affected uh, in a positive way 
because of what's happening right now. And, and it, it's very hard in times of crisis and disaster. It's very hard when your child dies to look at it and think God allowed this to happen. It's, it's hard. And you can understand people being angry with God when a tragedy happens like that. And I, I, I know plenty of people who have had tragedy in their lives and get terribly angry with God because God's sovereign, God's on the throne, God allows these things to happen. It's not that God makes it happen, but he certainly knows it's going to happen and he allows it to happen. Why doesn't he spare us from it? Well, because we live in a fallen world and he didn't spare himself from it either. Uh, let, let's, let's keep in mind that he came to earth in the form of a man was raised as a child, grew into an adult, grew in wisdom and understanding, was tortured, was crucified, died, was buried, descended into hell, and rose again from the dead so that we could have eternal life with him. He didn't give—it would be one thing to look at God and say, well, this is really cruel. You put us on this planet with all of these things that plague us and terrify us and cause us pain and agony, and you're just some abstract God we have no interaction with. And the reality is, for, for from the Christian perspective at least, that actually uh, we have this God who came to our planet— who walked among us, who wants a relationship with us, who suffered just like us, who was tempted like us, uh, who had all sorts of pain and tribulation in his life, who lost friends, who knew friends were going to die, and died himself. So he didn't give himself an escape hatch. He lived life just like we do. And we have to trust in him and understand all things really do work for the good of those called according to his purposes. Uh, that's that's my perspective on this from, from my... Per- good question, though, Bernard. Thank you for it. Now, joining me by phone away from the theology of the matter to the heart of the matter is the governor of the state of Georgia, Brian Kemp. Well, you have been really busy these last few days, these last few weeks. I have, Eric. Good morning. Good morning. So l- let me ask you... Uh, you've put in shelter in place on people like my wife, for example, who has cancer uh, now sheltering in place and uh, not leaving the house, not even getting on her motorcycle today. She, she's being good, honoring the order. And, and yet there's this continuing cry from urban sections of the state that we need to put the entire state on lockdown. Yeah, and look, tell your wife she can certainly ride her motorcycle to get any treatment she needs. We just want to make sure she's protecting herself and the most vulnerable to this virus, which is certainly the elderly, those that have, you know, immune deficient medical issues. Right. But, you know, there, there is um, a lot of clamoring for, you know, there's people mad because of what I did yesterday and people that didn't think I went far enough. But we've been following the data um, and looking at this from a holistic view, from a state perspective. And I just felt like it was time to take a little bit more stringent action based on a lot of people, unfortunately, were not paying attention to what the president, the vice president, and the federal task force, and we had been telling them to do, even though there's a lot of Georgians there. I mean, you know, people every day that are out there that are doing the right thing, they're teleworking, they're using social distancing, they're practicing the, the basic, you know, hand sanitation and hygiene to, to keep people safe and wiping surfaces down. But there's unfortunately people that have still been just going in droves to bars. Uh, there's been people that's been gathering, you know, um, in, in public places. And that is really where you can get into a super spreader situation if you have somebody that 
advise that, that, that goes against what we're asking and stay at home if you're sick and, and just create a pan, you know, a pandemic in a certain area around the state. And we've seen that in Albany, quite honestly, because we believe a super spreader went to a funeral and then it just took off from there. So the measures I put in yesterday will help us be able to deal with that with a little more authority. But it also leaves some quivers left in the era. If uh, if people aren't doing what they need to be doing, we can take further action. But I think it's a good good approach for where we are based on the data, the number of cases that we have compared to others around the country. Well, and when you look at the data, it's my understanding, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but you guys have been modeling uh, how this is spreading. And, and if, if I'm right, based on other people I've talked to, that y- y'all really aren't being surprised with what you're seeing, that everything does seem to be tracking as, as the healthcare experts expected. It is. And, you know, we're going to continue to see the number of cases go up. And unfortunately, we'll see the number of deaths go up because you just this this virus is just deadly with the, the older population and the medically fragile. That's why we did the shelter in place for them to try to protect those individuals. They're the ones that would end up in the hospital on a respirator um, and creating issues there. So it tackles two problems. It's helping keep them safe, but it also alleviates some pressure if everybody follows the directive to take pressure off our hospitals. But, you know, on our call with the vice president yesterday and the coronavirus task force that the president set up, Dr. Burks was saying that 40% of the cases in the United States are in New York City. 40% of the new positive test results per day are coming out of New York. And if you take out, you know, what's happening in California, Washington and Oregon, Illinois, and a few other states that are ahead of us you know really when you spread the rest of those cases and look at you know what the states have especially in the southeast i mean look we, we definitely have an issue here we got to deal with it but it, it's not at the point where we just have to completely wreck our economy um by having a, a complete lockdown and nobody doing anything and that that um, that to me as well creates other problems for industries that need to be open to produce the food supply and the packaging for the food supply and people are going to be moving around you know getting to the hospital providing uh, medical services and you know just things of that nature so this virus as bad as we hate to say it it's here i believe it's been here since december january or january before we even knew it and we can't just you know crawl in an apartment somewhere and hide from it we got to take this thing Head on, we got to be smart. The community's got to stop it and flatten the curve by following these best practices. And when they get sick, calling their doctor, not showing up and spreading it at the emergency room or in the patient waiting room, uh, and just ride it out at home if you have mild symptoms. And obviously, if you're, you know, if you're getting very sick or even on that path, you need to call the doctor or, or get to the hospital. But that's, that's uh, you know, South Korea did a good job of that. We've been watching what they did. We watched what China did. We're watching what's happening in Italy right now. And we're continuing to watch what other states are doing. And I think if you look around the southeast right now, um, you know, we're lined up pretty pretty much the same as a lot of our neighbors. And the response has, has been, um, you know, something that people can deal with. Now, if that changes in the future, you know, I'll look at other things. But we're continuing to watch the data as well. 
Well, you know, I noticed, for example, the AJC editorial today calling for you to do more. There there seems to be an urban-rural divide here between South Georgia, which doesn't want to shut down the economy in areas where the virus really, it can't spread because people already are at, at distance from each other, and versus the metro area. And, and I'm assuming, just based on what's happening, that if, if individual counties in the metro area do want to lock themselves down, you're not opposed to those county governments making those decisions. Not at all. And I, I have the same take that President Trump and Vice President Pence have. They're supporting the nation's governors. They know that they're on the front lines of this fight. We're living it and breathing it. I know that they are every day, but we're actually experiencing it in our individual states. And they're supporting, you know, Gavin Newsom and, and what he's doing. They're supporting Cuomo in New York with what he's doing. And they're supporting every other governor, no matter what they do. And that's the take I've taken with the local government. You know, I talked to Mayor Bottoms several times yesterday. I understand the reasoning behind the order that she did last night. Uh, I told her I would support that. You know, she's she's the mayor of the city and is, is closer to that situation than I am in some ways. And uh, I respect that. And the same thing is going, I was on a call this morning with a lot of elected officials, uh, the county commission chairs, and a lot of mayors from the whole area surrounding Doherty County because they have an issue down there because of the, the hot spot and the super spreader issue. And we've got a lot of people on the ground supporting them to stand up additional hospital beds, quarantine sites, and doing the, the epi work along with the CDC. But I encouraged the mayors. I said, look, there's an issue down there. I applaud you all for, for taking uh, the initiative from a reasonable approach to keep it contained. And if you take action today, you know, to shelter in place or whatever else they decide, you know, with their working group, that I will support that. And I think that's the right way to approach it right now because what's happening down there might not necessarily be, you know, what you need to be doing in Houston County or, or over, you know, in, in one of our southeastern counties or up in northwest or northeast Georgia. Well, in that regard, how's the supply situation for hospitals right now? I know uh, Commissioner King and, and the insurance commissioner's office are uh, making sure supply chains are open, but are, are we worrying about critical shortages right now? Well, we've got a great team working on that. Uh, Homer Bryson, the team director, General Carden, uh, who has a lot of experience during the National Guard, Adjunct General, and then General King, who's our insurance commissioner, they've all dealt with these types you know, responses before, obviously not the coronavirus, but they know how to commandeer supplies and get them out in an orderly way and be a, a centerpiece for communication and, and commands that are coming out. And they've been sourcing a lot of equipment. We're taking, you know, inventories of all the hospitals. We're in contact with them daily. You know, we've sent supplies and respirators down to the Albany area. We're doing that in other places where there is a short supply. And we're monitoring that situation. I, I will say two things. I think, one, the supply chain, I'm keeping my fingers crossed, but I think it's opening back up now that the China uh, manufacturing plants are coming back online. We're having a lot of people reaching out saying they can get masks and other PPE equipment. We've got large orders in for that as well. We're getting a shipment for sure today from the strategic national stockpile that, the, that FEMA is releasing to us that will have a lot of PPE in it, so that'll help shore up our our needs there. And then we continue. I mean, I talked to guys, two or three hospital CEOs, either myself or my staff, in the last couple of days, and we know we definitely have some issues in the metro area um, and, and probably will in the future. 
but also know that we had hospitals, you know, more than one that, that had a lot of empty bed space because they are not doing elective surgery. So it's freed up some resources there. So they are like absolutely in great shape and um, are very comfortable where the situation is. But we're preparing for what it may look like two weeks from now or a month. Uh, come up with a lot of additional resources to stand up makeshift hospitals and quarantine sites. And uh, so I feel like we're in a good place there. We're not finished. we got to do some more of that, but we are literally working on that hourly. Well, listen, I appreciate you stopping by and filling people in. And I know no easy time right here and appreciate your leadership on this. Thanks, Eric. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Governor Brian Kemp, uh, again, lock, lockdown in place, shelter in place for vulnerable populations, uh, bars and, and nightclubs closed, restaurants not, although encouraged to go to to-go, uh, and counties and municipalities that feel they need to do more, the governor's willing to have their back on it, uh, but he's allowing regions of the state affected differently to treat this differently. Hello there. Uh, is, I, I'm sorry. I'm I'm I made the mistake of looking at Twitter. Uh, you know. So here's how I explain Twitter in particular. Remember the story uh, from from Mark five. It's also Matthew and Luke uh, of uh, Le- the Legion of Demons. The the possessed men. In, now in Mark it's just one, uh, but there are two men. Uh, there's a reason that there's a focus on only one person in Mark. Um, and who is possessed and Jesus asked the, the demon its name and the demon says legion for we are many and the demons beg Jesus who they recognize to allow them to be cast into a herd of pigs that's running by and Jesus does allows the, the demons to be uh, to possess the pigs and the pigs run down a hill into the lake and they all drown. Now, what the Bible leaves out, because people in the first century wouldn't be able to process it, is that after the demons left the pigs that were all drowned, they didn't go back to hell. They all got Twitter accounts, and that explains social media. That explains Twitter. Uh, and it's just I, I made the mistake of looking at it, and it's amazing to me how much of the media is focused on Fox News and blasting Fox News. And, you know, if Fox News were not the dominant news entity of the day, they would let it slide because the amount of bat poop crazy stuff that comes out of MSNBC on a daily basis is staggering. Uh, in, in fact, you got Chris Hayes of MSNBC right now suggesting that 50% of the population could die because of this virus, which is, is not true, but it, it is uh, 50 times higher, 49 times higher. Uh, than is actually the case, and yet nobody's calling him out on that. Nobody calls MSNBC out on their nuttiness. They focus on Fox News because Fox is kicking their butt. So there's a story that as Fox News played down the coronavirus, its chief protected himself. They they, they took efforts to socially isolate 89-year-old Rupert Murdoch. <gasps> Can't hurt her. And then there's another one that Lachlan Murdoch, he, he was running the ship and not paying attention to the news content. You mean he was hands-off and letting the news division run itself? Oh, my goodness, how terrible. It, it really is striking how they're out to get Fox News in all of this. Uh, which is actually a little bit bizarre to me, their obsession about Fox, uh, and and yet that's what they play up. It's what they know. It's what they do. They they willfully hate Fox News, and if they can do any damage to Fox in the way it's handled this, and by the way, I, I realize that the rest of the media pretends that it's all news and not opinion, uh, despite Rachel Maddow or Don Lemon or even, frankly, Chris Cuomo at CNN. But I do believe the viewers of Fox are smart enough to realize that Laura Ingram and Sean Hannity are 
opinion hosts and not actual news hosts. They're not Bill Himmer, uh, even Martha McCallum uh, or Brett Baer. That they're not necessarily opinion hosts. Martha McCallum transitions towards that in the evening. But Tucker and and uh, Tucker Carlson, by the way, has been doing a very good job going so far as to go to Mar-a-Lago to tell the president he needs to take this seriously. And yet they are living rent free. The Fox News hosts and the head of the media going after these folks and the audacity of Lachlan Murdoch allowing the corporation, the news entity to run itself. And they're upset by that. They're upset by the corporate CEO allowing the newsroom to run itself. I'm, I'm floored by these criticisms because if they were directed to any of these other newsrooms, they would be screaming independence and, and demanding independence. We've seen that happen. And yet they don't like it when Fox does what they want for themselves because Fox is kicking their butt on all this stuff. Pitiful to see this level of hypocrisy.